Thank you, Ruth. Good evening, all. A very warm welcome. It's a cold night. Um, we are continuing our series this evening in looking at God's mission. Um, this evening, we're looking at God's mission to creation. Um, we'll be focusing mainly on the passage in Romans 8 that Ruth has just read. So if you can keep your Bibles open there, that's page 1135. That would be great. You should also have one of these, it's not quite blue, but kind of bluey green uh, handouts that will guide you as to where we're going. Um, I felt necessary to warn people this morning, I'll do the same again. Uh, there are uh, bits on both the front and back. So if you think we're getting through this really quickly, um, actually there's another side still to go. So bottom of the first sheet, that's about halfway through, um, just so you can kind of pace yourselves uh, through our time together this evening. So God's mission to creation, I guess it poses the question as we start, have you ever wondered how being a Christian might impact your approach to recycling? Or what does being a Christian have to do with environmental concern? What about animal welfare? How should we view the world in which we live? How are we as Christians to interact with the creation around us? and act towards it. Now, that may not be something that you've given a great deal of thought to. It's probably something I've not thought much about until Andy said, can you do a talk on God's mission to creation? I thought, flip, I'll need to figure out what is God's mission to creation? Um, and you can see this evening whether or not uh, we've managed to figure that um, out. But this is a big topic. It's an important question. And really, in order to answer... Um, these things about how should our approach to these things be we need to understand how God views the world around us because by understanding God's mission we can begin to see our role in it and how we fit into that so before we dive in um, let's pray to God um, and ask for his help as we do so Genesis 1.1 says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Father God, we thank you that you did indeed make the heavens and the earth, that you sustain them and us day by day. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, the Bible. We pray that you would help us this evening as we look at this topic of your mission to creation. Lord, we pray that as we do so, that we would come to understand you more and to love you more. Lord, we recognize this is a big topic, perhaps not one that we've uh, thought a lot about before. So, Father, we pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, humble us where we need to be humbled, and comfort us where we need to be comforted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me describe a couple of scenes to you. In our first scene, the sun is shining. A mother stands on a hillside. She looks down into the valley below. In the distance, the mountains have the first flakes of snow on them. Below, she sees the trees turning their different autumnal shades of yellow and gold and red. To her right, her husband and young children 
are playing amongst the rocks by a clear blue stream. They're laughing as they throw stones into the stream with a splash, whilst overhead a majestic eagle circles. Now, second scene. The sun is shining. A mother is standing on a hillside, looking down into the valley below. In the distance, the towering mountains are capped with first sprinkling of snow. Below, she sees mounds and mounds of rubble where her village once stood. To her right, her young children are sitting amongst the rocks. They're crying as they throw stones. Her husband is nowhere to be seen. Overhead, a rescue helicopter circles. The question is, which of these scenes reflects reality? And the answer is, of course, that they both do. Because the world in which we live is a world that is full of beauty and wonder. And yet it's also a world full of earthquakes and other natural disasters, of suffering and of death. So how are we to understand this world? Where is God in all this, we might say? What is God's mission to creation? As you'll see from the front of your handouts, God's mission to, is to redeem creation with mankind through Jesus Christ. As we prayed a few moments ago, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made all things, and he sustains them day by day. And we see in Genesis 1 that he declared that this creation that he had made was very good. And then having created it, he then, in Genesis 1.28, he commissions the human race to rule over and subdue this creation. He says to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created this world, and he's given it to man to look after. But as we turn to our passage from Romans 8, we see that all is not well. Look down with me at verse 20. So Romans chapter 8, verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Creation is subject to frustration. Now, what does that mean? I think perhaps one way of looking at it is, I think there are a lot of very frustrated Range Rovers in London. They, they're longing for some barren hillside which they can drive up. They're looking for some rocky river to traverse, for some inhospitable terrain to conquer. And yet here they are, slowly edging their way up Haverstock Hill, <laughs> negotiating the odd speed bump on the otherwise smooth road. They're frustrated because they're not being what they were meant to be. They're not being how they were made to be. 
And that's the idea that Paul's getting at here. Creation is in a state of frustration. Frustration that is not what it should be, or what God intended it to be. Because we see when Adam and Eve, those first humans, the ones that God commissioned to be head over creation, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, the entire universe fell with them. Adam's sin, humanity's sin, that marred the goodness of God's creation. So that ever since, creation has been in this state of frustration. Frustration that disease, that pestilence, that natural disasters and death are rife. And I think we all know that this is the world in which we live. We only have to look back over the last couple of weeks. We've seen the latest in the string of earthquakes devastating Italy. A couple of weeks ago, it was Hurricane Matthew wreaking destruction across Haiti. This is the world in which we live. And these things, they should grieve us. They should grieve us. But they should not surprise us because we live in a fallen and frustrated world. A world that is in desperate need of redemption. A world that is in need of rescue. But we see that all is not lost. Look again at the end of verse 20. Those two little words. God subjected creation to frustration in hope. In hope. In hope of what? Verse 21 in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. It's this hope of liberation, of being set free from its bondage to decay because God has a plan, a mission to redeem creation, a mission that's ultimately going to lead to a new heaven and a new earth, A place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That is where God is heading. And therefore it's no surprise that Paul talks of creation waiting in eager expectation for this rescue. Verse 19 he says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now often when I treat Christine and take her out for a nice dinner and we're awaiting our food. I have to be honest, I'm not giving Christine my full attention. Part of my eye is looking towards the kitchen door. See, is the next plate coming out? Is that my dinner? I'm sort of craning my neck round to see past Christine, past the bar, to that door. And that's the image that Paul has in mind here. He's He's basically saying, you know, creation is craning its neck to see, longing for its creation, longing for it to be set free. And that's, that's the image here. It's this eager expectation, this craning of the neck, waiting for its redemption. But did you notice, what is it waiting for? So at verse 19 again. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Or again, at the end of verse 21, 
We see it's, been liber- it's looking forward to being liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the sons of God, the children of God, that's us, that's Christians, those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Creation is longing for our redemption, for our glory. And you see, throughout this passage, there's this intertwining of creation's rescue and redemption with that of mankind. They're intertwined together. So, does that mean that we are the ones who are going to redeem creation? That we are the ones who are going to ride to the rescue and save this world? No, no. Um, We're not. Um, In a sense, how can we be? Because for like Adam, we are sinners. We're not going to redeem creation, but we will be redeemed with creation. We're not going to redeem it, but we will be redeemed with it. And the question is how? Well, we're going to be redeemed with creation through Jesus Christ. It was the sin of one man, Adam, who brought death into all of creation. And therefore, there needed to be a perfect human being, a second Adam, if you like, to bring life. And that man was Jesus Christ, God's Son. It was his perfect righteousness that brought life. And therefore, as verse 17 tells us, we will be glorified with Christ. Look down with me. Now, if we are children, that's children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Our glory reflects Christ. How did Christ bring about our glory? He did it by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, by defeating death. He's the one who has set us free from the power of sin. He is the one who sets creation free from death and decay. Because Christ, God's mission rather, is to redeem creation with mankind through Jesus Christ. We've seen that Jesus has come. He has died on that cross. He has risen from the dead. His saving work is complete. He has defeated death once and for all. And so we wait for his return, for that kingdom to fully come. Our second reading from Revelation gave us a glorious vision of that joyful celebration that there will be on that day. Did you notice what was happening there? There was all creation, all the living creatures on the earth and under the earth, in the sea. They were joining with the elders, the children of God. And they were praising God together. That's where we're heading. That is the climax of God's mission. That's where we're going. But as we all know, that's not where we are now. As verses 22 and 23 show, we, along with creation, are groaning as we await that day. We're not there now. So the question is, as we wait, as we wait for that day when Christ returns, how should this mission, God's mission to creation, how should that shape how we think and how we live now? So we're now 
over to the second side of the sheet. Uh, There are four bullets uh, there as we think through. How should we think and live now in light of God's mission to creation? First of all, let's be concerned for creation. We are to be concerned for this creation. This earth has been created by God and he's entrusted it to us to care for it. As God's people, we are to be concerned about God's creation. We're called to cooperate with God in caring for his creation. We're to be responsible stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Our care for creation is to be an expression of our worship. It should reflect our love for the creator. Now, as we do this, there's kind of two extreme pitfalls that we can fall into. Um, So first, on one hand, there's the danger of idolizing creation. Now, you might think, that's okay. I've not done any sun worship recently. Um, I'm probably okay on this one, Callum. But while that's true, I think there is a danger that we live too much for this creation. We have to see every amazing place on our bucket list. And the way we use our time, our money and our energy, prioritise those things above all else. Now creation, it is there to be enjoyed. It is a wonderful gift from God. But let's remember God's mission. Let's remember where we are heading. We're heading for a new creation that's going to be even better It will make even the most stunning scenery on earth now seem like a pale shadow of what's to come. So don't live too much for this creation. I promise you, when you reach the new creation, you are not going to be sitting there thinking, I only got halfway down my bucket list. This is a disaster. You're not. You're going to be enjoying that new creation. It's going to be so much better than anything we have here now. So that's on the one hand. The second um, pitfall, almost at the other extreme, is the pitfall of destroying creation. Now, when I was younger, I was a big fan of trains. Um, Some people might say I'm still a big fan of trains. But we'll uh, we'll leave that there. Let's just say, when I was younger, I was a fan of trains. Um, And when I was about eight or nine, my parents built me a model railway. And this was quite an impressive undertaking. They got some big sheets of MDF, which they kind of screwed all together. You then, they painted it, so they had sort of green stuff for grass, grey stuff for where the track would be. They had some roads, which were black. Um, They then hammered down the track, Um, They built some stations and other little buildings. And obviously I had some trains to go on the track. So they created all this beautiful train set for me. And then they gave it to me as a present. So I had to look after it. I had to maintain it. That's not that complicated, to be honest. You basically have to clean the track now and again with this little thing that looks a bit like a rubber. And you had to drive the trains not so fast that they kind of crashed off every time they hit a corner. Now, that's my train set. That's my reminiscing over for, for a bit. But 
can you imagine if having given that to me, I sort of thought, this is nice, and just smashed up the station, ripped up the track, and chucked it in the corner? How do you think my parents would have felt? They would not have been best pleased. I can tell you that now. So, in a similar way, it seems absolutely absurd to think that God would have created the earth and then handed it over to us to be destroyed. Rather, he gave it to us to be responsible stewards of it. Now, you'll be pleased to know I did not smash up the train set. However, I wasn't very good at cleaning the track. It's far more exciting to actually just get on and play with the trains, to have them spinning round and round. And they seem to run fine. But over time, that lack of cleaning was damaging the trains. And in the same way, I think we can often live lives ignoring the fact that the way that we live has an impact on this planet. There's a real danger that we think and act as if creation doesn't matter. I think often our view of God's plan of redemption is typically very narrowly focused on us. We're very clear in our mind that yes, Jesus came to die for my sins and he's paid the punishment that I deserve. But I think as we've seen here today, God's plan is much bigger than that. Yes, he came to die for our sins. Yes, that is the only way that we can be saved. But he came to die to redeem all of creation. And therefore, just as we will have new resurrection bodies, so there will be a new physical creation. And just as our response to looking forward to our new resurrection bodies isn't to go around abusing our current ones, so as we look forward to that new creation, we shouldn't be abusing our current creation. Now, if you were here before the summer, you might remember this book. This was our book of the term, last term. John Stott's The Radical Disciple. And one of the chapters he has in here, um, he's thinking through this issue of creation care. And as I was rereading it this week, I was struck um, by this quote with which he ends that chapter. It says, It seems quite inexplicable to me that there are some Christians who claim to love and worship God, to be disciples of Jesus, and yet have no concern for the earth that bears his stamp of ownership. They do not care about the abuse of the earth, and indeed by their wasteful and overconsumptive lifestyles, they collude in it. Now, if I'm honest, that's me. I don't care nearly enough about this earth. In many ways, my lifestyle is wasteful. It is overconsumptive. I don't care nearly enough. Perhaps those words resonate with you too. And therefore, I guess the challenge for me, and perhaps for you, is what would it look like for us to be more concerned 
for this earth? Would it be recycling more? Would it be reducing how much food we waste? Would it be having a more fuel-efficient car? Would it be caring about the environmental policies of companies we buy from? Would it be fewer long-haul holidays? Perhaps supporting local conservation initiatives? It may well look different for different ones of us. But I think each of us needs to strive for our care of creation to reflect our love for the creator. So let's be concerned for creation. Secondly, let's be pointing to the creator. How, the question I guess you might be thinking is, how does this focus on our care for creation fit with Jesus' great commission for us to go and make disciples of all nations? We've seen that God's mission is to redeem creation with mankind through Jesus Christ. And therefore it would be slightly bizarre, indeed it would be slightly disastrous for us, if we were to focus solely on primarily on creation care. Our mission as a church here at St. John's is rightly to know Jesus Christ better and to make him better known. Our number one priority must be pointing people to Jesus, showing them Jesus, showing them how through Jesus they can be redeemed out of sin and become children of God. If you remember Jesus himself, he made the decision to save one demon-possessed man than the 2,000 pigs he sent off that cliff. Our priority needs to be pointing people to Jesus. Because no matter how much recycling we do, that will not save anyone from God's righteous judgment. It's only trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ that will. So let's be pointing people to the Creator. But at the same time, let's not use that as an excuse to ignore our responsibilities to creation. Yes, let's get the balance right. But I think we can do both. In many ways, I struggle to think, how, how is my individual witness to others is very, very unlikely to be hindered by a greater concern for creation. And indeed, it might almost be the opposite, that actually the outworking of that concern for creation may give us opportunities to explain, well, why are you concerned about creation? And therefore to point to our creator and our saviour. So let's be pointing to the creator whilst remaining concerned for our creation. Our third bullet is my contender for snappy heading of the year. It is, let's be patient in this creation and be hopeful for the new creation. I'll give that to you again so you've got time to write it down. Let's be patient in this creation and hopeful for the new creation. We live in a world that is full of pain and suffering. Our passage in Romans is brutally honest about it. Look with me at verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth 
right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, childbirth is not something I can talk authoritatively about, but I am reliably informed that it's quite painful. And Paul is using that imagery here to show that the pain and the suffering of this present time is real. It does hurt. Life here on earth can be hard. It can be full of pain and sorrow and heartbreak. And being a Christian does not stop that being the case. If anyone comes to you and says, become a Christian, it will mean that you've got perfect health and wealth and happiness here on earth. They're lying. That is not what the Bible says. That's not the experience of countless Christians around the world who are suffering unimaginable things, often precisely because they are a Christian. Indeed, Paul goes as far to say that we are to expect suffering as Christians. Look again at verse 17. He's saying, if we are children, as children of our Christians, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. But again, the great news is there is hope. The pain of childbirth, that's pain filled with hope. It's pain that promises new life. Paul says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, there is this sure and certain hope. As he says from verse 23, we are waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There will be this new heaven and a new earth where we will live with God, where he will wipe every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. We know that God will bring this about. This is his mission. But let's remember, the pain now is real. And the glory to come is real. So let's take comfort. Now perhaps you're here today and you think, well, I'm, I'm not really sure if I would call myself a Christian. I'm not trusting in Jesus. I don't need to tell you that we lived in a messed up and broken world. But I hope what you've seen today is that God has a great plan for this world. God made this world. He made everything in it. He cares for it. He sent his son Jesus to bring about its redemption, its restoration. He's bringing about this new heaven and a new earth. And he cares not only for creation. 
He cares for you. Jesus himself said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. But don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are precious in God's sight. Jesus came and died to bring about your rescue, your restoration. So come, trust in him. By doing so, you can know that sure and certain hope of enjoying eternity with him in that new creation. Come, trust in him. And as we close, our final um, point on the sheet. Let's be thankful. That second reading from Revelation, it gave us a wonderful glimpse of this new creation. We've got all creation joining with all of redeemed mankind in praise of our creator and redeemer. So let's begin now what we're going to be doing for all eternity in praising God. Let's praise God for the beauty, the diversity of, the, of his creation that we can enjoy and care for now. Praise God that his mission is to redeem creation with mankind through Jesus Christ. Praise God that he cares for all that he has made, including each one of us. Praise God that through trusting in Jesus, we can become children of God and enjoy the new creation with him for eternity. Praise God for that sure and certain hope that we have that he will bring this work to completion. So as we close, let's do exactly that now. Let's pray to God. Father God, we thank you for the beauty of the creation that you have made. We thank you that we can enjoy it, that we can take pleasure in it. We thank you for the way that the splendor of your creation can lift our spirits, can give us joy and refreshment and display your glory. But Father, we recognize too the brokenness of this world. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering whether through natural disaster or disease or grief. We pray for these here this evening who are suffering. Lord, we thank you that you do care for your creation. We thank you that you sent your son to die, to redeem this fallen creation. We thank you that by trusting in Jesus, we too can be redeemed, that we can become your children. Lord, forgive us when so often we do not care for your creation as we ought. Give each of us wisdom as we consider how to live our lives in light of your mission to creation so that we might be responsible stewards of it. And finally, Father, we thank you that we can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Fill our hearts with eager expectation for that day when we will join with all creation in praising you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.